tried to sabotage the igloo? Who tried to sabotage the igloo? Who tried to sabotage the igloo? Who tried to sabotage the igloo? Darren and Graham are gonna get you. Darren and Graham are gonna get you. Sing it to making preparations. Preparations for their reparations. Sing it, Viva Grand America Nation. Oh, Viva Grand America. Oh, Viva Grand America. believe in the electromagnetic uh, anomalies. I've investigated long enough to find out uh, that uh, these vortices, electromagnetic vortices, are quite real, and I think a lot of things come into play. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Gian Quasar a little bit later. Uh, great chat. We talk about the Bermuda Triangle and a bunch of other stuff. It really is a fun one. Um, yeah, you guys should enjoy this one. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just he pisses off both everybody. sides, yeah, right? He pisses off everybody because he just go. He follows the facts, and that's going to lead to mystery, but it's also going to lead to some probably some you know some answers as well. So both sides can get a little irritated. That's right. So yeah, it was a fun chat. I didn't really know about Jen. I just sort of stumbled upon him on Twitter. And then, uh, wow, what a great chat. That's a fun one. You guys should really enjoy it. And, of course, we got talking out of turn here. Over here, the one and only Graham Hate Speech Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, bro? Don't curse me. You doing any hate speeching lately? I think you learned your lesson. That's good. What lesson? To talk about it? You can't even talk about it? You learned? No, I don't think you'll do it again. Do what again? Oh, you didn't, I didn't. You I'm didn't not the one. This is what I don't get. I'm just <laughs> explaining a story. Can't even talk about a story anymore? I forgot it was without eating. without condone you know without people thinking you're going to condone it. I mean, I don't know. There you go. There you go. Bango bango. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man. Down and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote ah. of a week. Words to ponder and critique. I thought for sure I was going to get you there. It's a profound UFO quote, Louis. There you go. All right, this is my favorite part of the episode. Is I'm, it still? I'm actually, it, not the interview with Gian Quasar. Well, that's pretty good because we talk about USOs you're, you're and all UFOs. All this fucking 10 second quote is the best part of the episode. We should start a new podcast. Just quote, boom, 10 seconds. Well, no, the best part of the intro then. How about that? Okay. Because John was pretty. pretty... Synchronicities and the stories that people take the time to send you. Oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, I like that too. (laughs) Scientifically, we eliminate the simple hypothesis. It's not a plane. It's not a helicopter. It's not a natural phenomenon because the descriptions don't match. Therefore, this global phenomenon resists any other explanation. The only remaining hypothesis is the hypothesis of extraterrestrial origin. That is from Lieutenant Clairbaugh, Secretary General of the Belgian government. Ooh, I like that one. 
Did you see here Curry's going to go meet the king and queen? Who? No. The Netherlands? No. Might get knighted. Wouldn't that be fucking something? <laughs> you can get knighted in in the Netherlands? I thought that was only I think a UK so. thing. No, I think you can be a knight. Whatever whatever king and queen can I guess so, right? It doesn't have yeah. to be a UK thing. I ironic. guess there was like Dutch knights in the in the ancient times. I wonder if they made movies about them. Like Monty Python. No, the the only the English have that sense of humor to take the piss out of their out of their ancient origins of King Arthur and what King Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> You've been watching too much fucking. Have you watched it recently or what? No, huh. no. I've got them all now. I haven't watched them again yet. Got what? All the uh, Monty Pythons. Life of Brian and whatever. There's a, there's like four or five. So of them, Life of Brian and the Holy Grail are the two that you gotta watch. You should probably watch it again. The last time you watched it, you weren't in proper state of mind. You probably didn't get it. You, you know what? Actually, it does take a few times. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, when we were at the cabin, I was on the mushroom. Yeah, yeah, but it right. takes a few times to to get it. Like it, it really does. I can believe that. I can get on with that. It's a bit overwhelming at first, all the scenes and all that. And then once you start realizing the, how they're making fun of the whole system, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's, it still fits. It does. It's uh, incredibly timely. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the I fucking Don't lost it again. Can you believe it? What'd you lose? Oh, you lost the poll? Yeah. There's got to be a way to tag the poll. I should have retweeted it or something so that it would go to the top of the thing. Or I could have taken a screenshot. There's literally a million things I could have done. Now you got to scroll all the way through while I try and fill the dead air. I think, I don't know if I already passed it. So Jamie Janover's coming to Calgary. He was a past guest of ours and he's an emissary of Nassim Perriman. And he's coming to do a presentation. It'll probably be at least a few hours at the casino in Calgary, uh, the Gray Eagle Casino. It's the end of April, and I'm, we're going to go, I, I think, we're going to go, and we're probably going to have him in the studio here. I'm talking about it every week because I'd like to try and plug it for him because I love Nassim's work, and we love Jamie. We're now in the studio. And uh, he is going to be talking about the, the unified field theory of Nassim Harriman, and it's fucking mind-blowing. And then we're going to have them in studio after. I hope so, yeah. And we, and we just cleaned up the studio. We're reorganizing it. We're doing video now a little bit. Actually, we should talk about that. We could talk about it now. It's probably a good time as any. Let's get um, into the poll first. That'll okay, play the all fucking right. Jingle. Okay, all right. Let's do it. Whatever you okay, want. Okay, so the jingle Pause. was... What? Go ahead. I like that. <laughs> the nice ring to it. Uh, this week's poll question. Do you support any podcasts? Uh, we had 192 votes. Yes, I'm a supporter, 52%. Wow. Not yet, but I will be, 22%. Wow, that's, so that's a good three quarters good answer. of the answer. No, why would I be? 17%. <laughs> and other list below, 9%. And then you, and then there's a list of others? Yeah, we got I'm a poor as fuck single dad. <laughs> 
Are those predefined lists or is that other people? Others. I would, would I pony up? This is from Kevin, the UK Prince. Would I pony up if I could? Of course I would. I feel like I've been freeloading the second best podcast in the universe with the best intentions since day one, the original UK posse. Nice. The OK. Yes. See the OG, the OK? Yeah. No, the, the OU. Whatever. Uh, yeah, but only one without ads. I'm adding really? a Patreon link to mine. I'll be paying for the music I use and giving away trips. When I can afford to. Got to become financially unsucky first. Oh, from our buddy Salvatore. The way I look at it, we can all afford a dollar a month, and together, as a collective, that dollar becomes more. It becomes energy and, and intention, supporting an institution doing meaningful and necessary work waking people up when you become part of something like that it raises your frequency agreed that's why i support gramerica with my canadian pesos which is value for value unlike the others i subscribe to from that other country i support three podcasts gramerica is one i'm broke i used to slip a few bucks here and there <laughs> then someone said eat a dick I said Richard Parker. <laughs> <laughs> you remember all that? That's funny. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good response. I had the hashtag Richard Parker going for a while. Really? Yeah, yeah that was pretty funny. That, that was the like outro. Richard Parker that's in real danger. We were, ta we were talking about that in the outro of um, the synchronicity episode with Trish and Rob, I think, right? I think that Kevin Stevens thinks it's something else. Because he's like, 5.50 a.m. and I've had my first Richard Parker of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tweeted later, Being a long day, I'm well and truly Richard Parker. <laughs> Maybe his wife had a Richard Parker. Started to start her day, but I don't think Kev did. I hope he didn't, buddy. I hope not. Listen back and really get the context of what Richard Parker is. Yeah. Before you go throwing stuff like that around. Anyway, yeah, that's the poll result. We'll go, might as well go into the thing. Well, we, we'll go into your video thing first because the video thing wouldn't have been possible without the supporters. Yep. I mean, it's still a little, a little uh, choppy, but it's definitely getting there. Brody's a big help, huge help. Um, you know, we're using that computer that we were able to crowdfund last year when we did the the raffle that Nikki the dude won. And uh yeah. So I mean well, it let's could explain, still use some work, but it costs, it costs what we're money doing. that never would have happened without the supporters. Yeah, for sure. But explain what we're doing then. So we got a couple cameras in the studio and we're going to record like nothing's gonna change in the audio side. No, Podcast out completely as normal. Brody's just gonna video it. So video of the guests, maybe some presentations, maybe some pictures, maybe some... If there's that, and if internet. not, and if not, he's just got cameras around the studio and he's going to make videos of everything just because, uh, strictly for the YouTube. So basically the podcast is just going to go into video format for people that, you know, there's this whole YouTube audience, I guess, that doesn't really listen to podcasts and won't watch a picture. So we'll see. We'll try it out for a few months and see how it goes. We've had a ton of people pushing us in this direction for a long time. So we feel it's time to give it a whirl. We'll give it a whirl. It's been fun so far. But yeah, that's over at grandamerica.ca slash live. Whenever we go live, 
Um, we're kind of throwing it out on social media. It's usually going to be Wednesday nights. Uh, the big ones will really pump up. The big live shows are going to be the ones where we um, are having guests on that are going to end up in the Black Budget support feed eventually. And uh, those shows will do live. So if you're not a supporter for the those people, they'll be able to come in and tune in live and listen to that. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. So that's probably going to be the main reason, you know. Did you mention the subscribing so. to get that notice of the live one then, or even the newsletter? Well, that's a good reason to so, head over to grandamerica.ca slash news and sign up for the newsletter because we haven't told Justin yet. Hopefully <laughs> we'll tell him before he listens to this. But we're going to have him start sending out our – I'll get him to show, show or, me how to log or we'll in or it. whatever. Yeah, we'll do it. So that we can start sending out a newsletter basically, you know, the day before, 12 hours before we go live. Probably 12 hours in the morning or something. I have it go out in the morning. I don't know what. I don't We're know live how, tonight. I don't know we don't know. We're still, we're Bro, still it, fucking pre, learning, pre, but signing up for the newsletter isn't going to hurt. It's hard to know if we should just send it out like as we go live, like email saying we are live now, if that'll catch more people than trying to say, and we don't have that many people sign up to the newsletter, but that is a way that we can get a hold of people. That yeah. is the way that we can get a hold of people. Or if it's like 12 hours or 24 hours notice, who knows what the real, the best thing is. I mean, maybe we can try it for a while and see what kind of feedback there is. That's right. We'll see how it goes. We're signing up for the newsletter. is just another way to get notified when we're doing those sorts of things. We are rolling back from Tuesdays to Wednesdays as we head into April. So, you know, any of those will be on Wednesday nights. Usually is when those live streams are going to be most of the time. Um, that being said, I think the next one's on Tuesday, but yeah, um, check that out. And of course, if you want to support the show and help us keep growing and doing these fun things and getting the extra content as well, head over to grimerica.ca slash support. Uh, you know, there's about 700 hours of content, almost 300 episodes out there now all for free. And we're going to keep pumping these out one a week or two a week, like we did uh, this week, um, for free. And of course, we are doing a show or two a month for the block budget. As, and the only way to get that is you can do a one-time donation of any amount, gets you in. Ideally, you sign up for a subscription, and that gets you in as well. That can even be as low as a buck a month. If everyone signed up for a buck a month, that was all anyone have to sign up for. But you know, it's well, if still everyone signed up for five it, bucks a month, it'd be fantastic. We could cover our expenses, pay off some debts. That's right. And you know, and upgrade some stuff here. That's right. Move out of the garage. Move out of the garage. That would be fun. It's flooded be nice. as fuck it's, right it's now. It's full of ice. It's like a fucking skating it's rink. It's flooded and then it The froze. igloo's got a skating rink right outside the door. The driveway's so slanted. Yeah, that's yeah. the problem. Is the driveway's so slanted, everything melts, comes in. It's a good thing the studio's raised up four inches. Yeah. Fuck, could you imagine? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I mean, eventually, I mean, we'd like to go to more conferences and stuff as well. That'd be, that'd be fun. And I want a cloud lifter. What's that again? It's a new sort of preamps that are out. They're sexy. Why they call them cloud lifters? It sounds like a weather, extreme weather modification program. Well, it just bumps our mic up a little cleaner. It's a new tech. Is it Oregon technology? I don't know. You don't have to be quite that close to the mic. Is it Oregon technology? Is it- you just said the same thing at the same distance from the mic again. I don't know if it is, but I'm going to take this Oregon. Cloud Buster? I've got a Cloud Buster on my screensaver. That's a Cloud Buster. That's is that like that? Is that your What's new- your passcode? Oh. No, that doesn't work. No. That's a buster. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Who made that? That's from the... Do you pedal it? That's from Kate Bush's video. Oh. Would you take a screenshot? And yeah. Made it your background? Yeah. You are such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know you can get ones that move? 
that you can touch and move or you touch and hold and they move around or something? What, what's that? Cloud busters? No, like back screens. No, screen tears, No, yeah. I don't really care about that. Seems like you do. <laughs> you took a screenshot <laughs> out of a fucking video. That's a lot of work, bro. That's no, it wasn't more... out of a video. I don't know. It was, it, it's, I don't know where I found it, but I think that's where it's from. Okay. I'll, I'll clarify. It's not a screenshot of the fucking awesome 1985 music video that was like a movie. Okay. So, uh, with Donald Sutherland playing the bad guy or playing the, the inventor of the cloud buster. Sutherland's dad. Yeah. Huh. And Kate Bush playing a little boy that was his son, you know, it's interesting. Flick. That was like a life changing video, man. Seems like it. A life changing music video. Wow. There are too many of those. Maybe thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. It was around the same time frame. There are people getting pretty creative with stuff. I think the eighties was awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> Synchronicity It's time for another Installment of the Canadian Third Party Synchronicity Rating Authority I don't think I've read this one yet. This is from uh, Andy. Jesus he says, hi. Oh, this is funny. He says, hi, Graham. And then hi, Darren. With and G and H. H. I, yeah. Yeah. Clever. I've been listening to Grimerica in either podcast or YouTube from ever since I heard Randall Carlson on the Joe Rogan podcast. A quick search on iTunes for Carlson led me to your content. I should mention, actually, it is fun to hear how people found the show. That's very interesting. That's our only like market research, actually. That's right. <laughs> Not our only market research, but pretty much. That spring of 2017, I've been a fan ever since. Before listening to Grimerica, I had never before entertained the idea of synchronicities. I'd find myself just passing them off as mere coincidences, if even noticing them at all. I have now found myself becoming more aware of synchronicities, and I think this may have something to do with your show and listening to those of others. One major synchronicity of recent was this past fall 2017. My fiance and I are having a house built and speaking with the house builder's sales manager. We had learned that the owner of the neighborhood plot was a scaffolder who, like me, works between several different refineries north of our city. The manager gave me his name in case I ever ran into him. Thinking that it was more likely that I'd find a needle in a haystack, I'd soon but forgotten about this and ended up taking a job at one of the major refineries a, weeks, a few weeks later. On my first night after the company's site orientation, my crew and I were setting up to work off some scaffolding. No big deal. Before you climb, you have to read and follow all safety conditions and avoid identified hazards listed on the safety tags located on the access ladder. I turned the, the tag access ladder. I turned what? The access ladder. I turned the tag over and to my shock there was my soon to be neighbor's name, as he was the general foreman who authorized the tag. One of the refineries and all of the miles of scaffolding and all the areas in this plant and all the contractors here, there's his name and it isn't a common one either. Too much for a mere coincidence. I hope this finds you and the fellow listeners in good health. Thanks for all the content. It certainly makes up makes the drive up north 500 kilometers go by faster. Andy. Thanks, Andy. 
Wow, I wonder, uh, hopefully the scaffold is built well. Yeah. I'll rate it a six. Nice. Yeah, I think it was. It, it reminds me of when I was working in a um, aircraft overhaul maintenance facility. We were working with Pratt & Whitney parts. And my family, actually, like my Nana and my mom and dad worked for Pratt & Whitney way back in the 70s, it would have been. Really? And I found a tag that was so old on a part that was sold that my Nana wrote the tag. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah. I noticed her writing and everything. It was like the one of the, like those parts were for the same engine. They are the Some parts just didn't change and they were around for decades. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. Big thanks to uh, Johnny V. Oh. Sent us some swag. He sent oh, yeah, us yeah. some swag. Um, yeah. We got it already. Got a, got a we t-shirt. got a shirt. I got a shirt that says I got stoned with Bigfoot. Grab got some That's socks. That's your shirt, obviously, and I got some yeah. Bigfoot socks, and my socks are hanging in. the socks? Did you check? No, they're new. They still stuck something in there. No, they're new socks. I'm not even going to wear them. So they're hanging up in the studio right now. You're not going to wear them? And uh, Darren's shirt, I'm sure Darren's shirt, it's got like a Bigfoot sneaking around a tree with a doobie in his mouth. A redwood, I bet. <clears throat> and that's uh, going to be on Darren, obviously, in the next video, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Save it, save it. I'll leave it in here so I can wear it in case I forget to wear a shirt one day. Cool shirt, yeah. In case you have your fucking robe on for the video. Fucking robe. And I got all those, I got 10 fucking swag envelopes. Did I tell you the robe joke? So this is like right here. It's like 40 fucking dollars in postage. You're sending out, you're sending out uh, for the Wednesday, uh, subscriber gimmick you're sending out magnets grand america magnets to a bunch of people that subscribe on wednesday don't, don't right? call my sticks gimmicks <laughs> <laughs> yeah i send a little thing i started to try and drum up some support since we still are only at like 10150 like i'd said a little earlier so um you yeah. know support the show any day but if you do support the show on a wednesday if you sign up for a recurring subscription then we send you out a couple of magnets and a sticker and I waited so long that now I have fucking 10 of them. A couple ones going to fucking New Zealand. It was like seven bucks. Do you want to go, uh, do you want to hear my joke about a robe? Yeah. You seem eager. So this door door salesman comes up to this door and he knocks on the door and this little kid opens up. He's about nine years old and he's wearing a smoking jacket, like this long robe. And he's got a cigar in one hand and a glass of brandy in the other one. And the salesman says, Oh, hi, son. Is, is, your, are, is your parents home? And the kid says, what the fuck do you think? Huh. I think you actually <laughs> told that joke on the show before. Really? I don't know why I just found that so funny, but now when I tell it, it just sucks. Yeah, it was good when you were like, what? I don't know. It was good maybe the first time. I don't know. That's always, that joke has not aged well. No. And I think you've told it on the show maybe twice. No, you, you I tell couldn't. it every fucking, every tell it every fucking hundred up. episodes. <laughs> huh? Yeah, three hundred's coming up, eh? Five year anniversary too. Yep, it's coming up right around June first. We've been doing the show for five years, so that's coming. The three hundredth show is coming. Be exciting summer. Exciting summer, motherfuckers. You got anything else? I think we'll leave it at that. You don't get to see the time anymore. We're, we're a little short, but well, we I got I got uh, you know there's a, I got an advertisement coming out for Six Nights Under the Stars with Doctor Stephen Greer in Arizona, and I was going to read that to you if you want if you're interested. You're going to read Stephen Greer's fucking advertisements on the show without advertising. I thought you might get a kick out of like the, it's got a whole bunch of like you what you will learn. 
Okay, go. Like this. Should I? So. What are you doing? You're Dude, not playing some, the I'm outro music in the middle music. of my... No, you can't play that. No, I'm not reading it to that. I can't. <laughs> I hate that fucking song. <laughs> I appreciate the lyrics that you wrote for it, but I've always hated that tune. I know. Ever since I, that show was on in the early 90s. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> when I was writing it, I knew you would hate it. So, this week-long intensive is limited to 25 registrants. And provides for an intensive training program with Dr. Greer. How much is it? It's also a true expedition where I don't know what the, I don't know yet. Where each night we will go out under the stars for stars for four to five hours to make contact using the very effective CE5 contact protocols. Now, just for the listeners that haven't heard, we do this up here ourselves with results, oh, seeing like stuff. During this intensive program, you will learn how to make contact with ET civilizations using the CE5 protocols and how to really become an ambassador to the universe. How to make... Oh, that's... Uh, they, they, advanced training in mantra meditation, advanced techniques in remote viewing, precognition, and the science of consciousness. The effects of the Sanskrit puja as we make sacred the place for contact using this ancient Vedic, Vedic ceremony. An update on worldwide disclosure project developments by Dr. Greer and the progress being made with leaders around the world. An in-depth review of new energy technologies, including free energy from the zero-point field, anti-gravity, and how the world can be transformed with these new sciences. How much? A deep understanding of the next great cycle on Earth, one of universal peace, free energy, abundance, and enlightenment through higher states of consciousness. How to set up your own contact team in your local area to continue to make contact with ET visitors to Earth. And first-hand accounts from the making of Unacknowledged, the book and film from Dr. Greer. How much? All for the low, low price. This of... event will be held at a retreat center, 45 minutes from Tucson. Participants so enjoyed the field work, which is quiet, dark, and private, and are happy to be going back. We have signed up, da da da, free. Inc okay, the fees include tuition. <laughs> <laughs> what? Next, nothing. Six nights lodging, group dinner on Sunday night, midday meal and dinner Monday through Friday, simple breakfast on Saturday before leaving. Each room has its own private bathroom. Ooh. <laughs> please read about guidelines. like a hotel. Please, <laughs> please read about guidelines and rules, description and schedule, materials to study before you go. Uh, we may be filming at this retreat for our next documentary. This means that you must sign a film release. You may or may not be in the film. It might just be the back of your head. Hopefully not the back of your head. <laughs> it might just be your camel toe. Uh, what? <laughs> just kidding. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> You're getting some more emails. <laughs> However. Uh, sexist. I was thinking of a guy. Oh, yeah, that's a moose yeah. knuckle. <laughs> Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. However, so that you are prepared, we'll be asking that once you have paid to send back a signed release within two weeks, da, da 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 If you want, oh, here, it does have the price. If you want to participate, please sign up here. Tuition, room, and board for the six nights is $35.75 per person. That's not too bad. How many people? 25 people. Hey, Google, what's $35.75 times 25? The answer is 89,375.
That's pretty What's good. What's 89,000 US to Canadian? Oh, she's already stopped answering. Oh, you got to say hey, Google. Google. Hey, Google. What's 89,000 US dollars in Canadian? 89,000 United States dollars is approximately 114,753 Canadian dollars and 93 cents. Approximately? So it's not approximately if you're exact. Fluctuates daily. Anyway, so that's not too bad. I mean, it's not as bad oh, as people bad. say. Thirty five hundred for for a week. For like I mean, what week? if he only does it a couple times a year and he's invested years upon years of the, how many nights putting research into Four disclosure? Nights? Six nights. Six nights. Six, six nights. So he's working a week and making a hundred grand. Well, no, he's got to pay for all the expenses and the lodging and all that. I'd like to see some pictures of all that lodging. <sighs> I don't know. I don't Go care to what it. We, we just gotta send you to charges. Fuck, Eventually, it to we're just gonna send you to one of them, and I just want to like report back what the conditions are like. <laughs> it's, You're gonna come back like fucking ten pounds thinner. No, I want to go to. I'm gonna go to the East City Ranch this 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 uh, summer. I think, anyways, for a weekend. Is that the other guys? Yet, or is that no? It kind. Of, it's not really. It's just a different. It's it's like the uh, the Skinwalker Ranch, the East City Ranch. There's a bunch of stuff that happens there. It's very. Tons of people have experiences. UFO sayings at Mount. Sh- UFOs are coming out of Mount Shasta. I think it is, or no, Mount Hood. No, that's you know. I don't even remember. There you have it. One of those. So well, maybe we'll there. do that. But I mean, honestly, like you know, that's. Uh, I don't know. I don't care what he charges. He's put decades of stuff. I, you know, I feel like I need to defend the guy a little bit because everybody gets yeah, pissed off at his ego and all that. But, you know, he's the one that's put a lot of work in over the decades. And whether it's true or not, he's made a lot of headway in the, in the disclosure movement. So You do a good job of defending him. I'll give you that. All right, guys. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> this bonus episode. Oh, Another that's right. Yeah, that's two weeks in, in a row with two apps. Really? In the free feed. Holy shit. Yeah, so, yeah. Sign up for the support, getting more. Anyway, fuck all that. Get you some good vibes. This is coming out probably Sunday. We could probably use some good vibes, help you get through that week. Where's the motherfucking. If more of you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Send it out. Tonight we've got John Quasar with us. He's been invest. He's an independent investigator. He's been investigating and writing about all kinds of strange stuff, like actually the Bermuda Triangle. 
He's re- rekindled that mystery over the years, like for many years. UFOs, cryptids like Sasquatch, but also a lot of true crime stuff, like uncovering some of the most dangerous serial killers and rapists in, in North America. Uh, he's probably one of these guys that's that's like, as far as the, the occult and UFO type stuff goes, he probably pisses off both sides because he's uh, very evidence-based and scientific, uh, yet he also... You know, he'll also admit that there's stuff, some strange stuff going on. So it's uh, really good to have you here. He's got his website, thequesterfiles.com, which has got all his work there. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, John. That was a nice introduction. Oh, thanks, no one buddy. ever, no one ever qualified that I tee off both sides. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I heard, I heard you on the banal, banal report, and yeah, um, I, I always have to qualify that I. I'm not out there, you know, in the cottage industry. I just looked, I'm like everybody else. I was curious about this stuff. So I just subjected it to real investigation to see where the truth is and where I can establish real mystery. I'll say it's, there's something very odd there where it isn't. I will say where it is. Exactly. It's not <laughs> no yeah. real mystery. Yeah. Well, we I try just don't type in capital letters and get rude and nasty with people. Exactly. We try and, I mean, we try and do that here too. We don't, we try not to get dogmatic about, this paradigm or that paradigm. I mean, a lot of times we don't have the answers and a lot of our guests don't have the answers either, but we know that there's something strange going on and we just like to investigate it. Not that it's all about the journey, but we do like to just look at all the different things and even speculate sometimes. So that's good. Yes. So the people enjoy mystery, but I think most people really enjoy trying to crack one. They want a sincere effort to try and solve it instead of just constantly, you know, rehashing it. Yeah, for sure. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, no, the mystery. That's how we learn. Mystery is an invitation to look and learn. It means we don't know something. Yeah, I mean, I, Einstein so, said, "You look for mysteries, enjoy them, teach your kids about them." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we just had a, a listener email us in about that Einstein quote about the imagination being more important than intelligence, or something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He always said he wasn't a philosopher, but he really was because he thought his his theories out first, and then you know he imagined his theory of relativity. He sat there and imagined all this, and then worked it out mathematically to see if it was true, and and discovered so much by doing that. You have to think this out first to discover it. Anything you can imagine, you can bring about. Oh my God! I just said that. I just said that to a bunch of friends last night. My dad told me that way back when. He's like, "Anything you can imagine can happen. Like, or if you can, whatever you can imagine can be possible, kind of thing." And that's where that it starts. Very true. Right? Yeah. Wow. A little bit of a synchronicity there. And uh, and what was I going to say about that too? Oh yeah, the relaxation response. I mean, how many of these scientists and these inventors and all of us have had their epiphanies in the shower or? napping i mean when it really when things open up and they've you know and then they they start they just uh, they keep thinking they keep dwelling on it you have to keep cycling it and to come up with every uh every angle of it i uh i was told recently very much from an authoritative source about one crime scene where the poodle was found uh in the swimming pool and i don't know how it got there i never really speculated that much about it and uh the detective told me that if this was the perp that they think it was, he, you know, would, would silence dogs if he was yipping and he's trying to break into the house. He'd throw the dog in the pool to keep him quiet. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's that's where the murder swimming. occurred in the yard. And so the murder occurred in that yard, and uh, it fits. You know, why else would a little poodle be in the pool at a murder scene? Yeah. 
and it, this is committed by a guy that they believe was the number one prowler and and break-in stalker around the area. So it does make sense, but uh, never dawned on me. But uh, a lot of guys think this out. You know, have to reenact. That's the whole uh, basis of the French method of of uh, criminology reenactment. Hmm. Who's capable? You know, who explain every little clue by reenactment. I mean, you and you've done that with some of these true crime guys, right? You've fall, you've you know been around the neighborhoods and you've followed the oh yeah the yeah. circuit. I mean, but before we before we get into that, the real scary part. Let's touch on. And I know you've talked, you've, you know, you've probably done this to death, but the Bermuda Triangle. Like I, I've one of these the X Files type of stuff. Yeah, like I mean, I've thought that was kind of a, a done deal for quite a while. But you've you know you really made it made a name for yourself and for that again by. You came up with another book, The Bermuda Triangle 2. So can we just touch, I know you've talked about it a lot, but can we just touch on it for a little bit just for people to know that there is yeah. still there is still a mystery there and maybe just sort of just summarize that a little bit? That, uh, that will never leave my reputation, actually. My name, however you pronounce it, is associated with that topic now. Mm. And for 18 years, I'm the one that brought it back, actually, 19 years ago, 1999, I got on the web. <laughs> you know, and it's it, funny. And it had been dead for 20 years. And all these little, you know, new websites were up as the web was young. And uh, people were bashing the whole idea based upon an old 25-year-old book that claimed it solved it. And uh, I had been investigating it since 1990 on my own. And, of course, back then you didn't have any outlet like the web. And so when I saw all this rot on the web, I decided to put up my rather massive investigation. And I was slammed within the first week in March of 1999. I... I was number one on all the old uh, search engines, Alta Vista, all those things. And uh, it wasn't long before TV started coming to me asking me for all my input. And I don't know how many documentaries I've done. Uh, I've, it was just enormous fallout uh, of publicity because I was the only one who investigated objectively for the last 25 years and was still objective about it. I added, I don't know, 75 or more mysteries that no one heard about to my first book that McGraw-Hill published really quick in 2003. And uh, there's so many on my site, and then now my sequel that just came out last year. So it's, I, I keep showing people all that goes on, and I just want them to understand it's, it's a real-life adventure and mystery. Uh, it's not something... I, I don't know how to define paranormal to people. I shy away from that. That term? A title because people have corrupted it to mean a bunch of supernatural stuff you can never solve, and why try and investigate something if you can't solve it? Yeah, you know it's We're interesting. We're talking about real ships and planes that vanished that had people, and some of the circumstances are very documented. I even have the uh, Mayday call from a pilot panicking over a weird object harassing his aircraft off Puerto Rico, and that's up on YouTube. Mm. And uh, you know, it's so interesting. I have to admit, is, is... pattern that there is mystery out there. There's an awful lot of it. We've often talked about how how I how we got into this field, and you know, now that I think about it, the Bermuda Triangle was the first thing that I was ever like into when I was a kid. And I remember, like, when I was a kid, like, like probably like nine or ten, having sleepovers at my next door neighbor's house, and he was into it. He had seen it on Unsolved Mysteries or something. I bet you he's seen you on something because this would have. Prob- I've been on. I've been on all of it. So, yeah. yeah, and I remember. 
I, I mean, I think he was he was talking about how we had lowered down all these cables. I don't I don't know how much my that my buddy was portraying to me was true. He seemed like maybe he was stretching the truth a bit, like. <laughs> but um, I remember him telling me about it, and then I was kind of hooked on it. I remember even like reading a couple little books on it about planes thinking they were in tunnels, weird like cloud tunnels and things like that. I remember like. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, no, I know a pilot who went through that, Bruce Kernan. He described that in detail. It's in my book. He even wrote a book on his own experience as well uh, with a horizontal, almost like flying through a horizontal tornado, and he had two witnesses with him, and there's one scientist with the University of Nebraska that believes the story and uses it uh, trying to backwork a method of uh, propulsion. Uh, there's lots of stories. All my, my book, all my incidents are not based on old newspapers or magazine articles. They're based on reports of the National Transportation Safety Board. Huh. Like I told you, there's a weird one where I have the transcription, and then I got the FAA copy of the audio of the Mayday basically panicking over a UFO, and the plane then vanished. There's uh, aircraft that vanished on radar coming in for a landing. And uh, one case in the book uh, where it was actually almost witnessed by the plane coming in behind it, and it just vanished. There was nothing. There was a cargo flight, and the pilots of the plane that were following it, coming in for landing, looked down to see if there had been an impact, and there was absolutely nothing. And uh, at that same airport, a few years later, another aircraft vanished uh, when the air traffic controller was watching it. He shifted his glance, watching the landing light with his aircraft coming in for landing, to uh, the radar scope. And just a moment before the radar scope had shown two blips, one aircraft taking off, this one coming in, he looked at the radar scope and it showed only one blip, so he looked right back out the window and the aircraft that had been coming in for landing was gone. The landing light was gone and there was never a trace. There was no ELT signal, which is an acronym for emergency locator transmitter. It should jettison from the aircraft upon impact and send an electronic signal that can be picked up by the base station by uh, satellites, by passing aircraft. And I think about 120 aircraft that I have investigated had that device, had that capability, and one has has never been signaled. And then you get odd things out. The newer stuff that I talk about in my sequel, such as uh, you get some kind of pattern like off the west coast of Florida where people are either vanishing off their boat Hmm. or uh, then down further there was an EPIRB signal, which is the equivalent on a boat, down by the keys, and it was picked up shortly, and uh, then it stopped, and the boat was then later found abandoned, floating with the guy at the end of a, a lifeline, and how it was turned on, how the EPIRB was turned on and turned off, is not known, except that something must have really shaken his boat, gotten water on it, then it will signal and knocked him over. And I trace this line, kind of like Jaws in the movie Jaws, where you see the the predator strikes and something's moving around, see its territoriality. You can almost do that off the west coast of Florida with boating accidents, people missing as though they were knocked off their boats. One boat was, you would almost think it was shaken around into a, a tornado and thrown back down. The two people that must have been on top were gone. Uh, the boat drifted around Florida, and the body of the other one was found inside, and his Spine had been cut in half, and no one knows how that happened. Huh. So one gets into some pretty grisly stuff that's not all this la-la land. 
you know, people with their, their crystals and little telepathic communication with aliens and, and talkative dolphins and all that. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. There's, there's one very interesting case where two guys were on a very nice luxury motor sailor, and the guy who owned it was not an adept sailor, so he hired a, a very good sailor to pilot the boat for him, and they were taking it to Florida. And off Florida somewhere, uh, it was off uh, still north of St. Petersburg, they were heading south, and uh, the owner of the boat went down south. It went down into the cabin to check something. And the other guy was at the wheel. He comes back up moments later, and the guy's gone. Hmm. And he had vanished from the boat. There was no one at sea, and they did an, the Coast Guard did an extensive search for days looking for this guy, and he just uh, had vanished from the boat while the other guy was down below. And a lot of these these are recent, fairly recent. Um... Oh yes, uh, in, in the recent book, yes. I deal with mostly everything I left off with in 2003, so we're talking about this century. Wow, that's crazy. I recap all the old stuff to put it in perspective. It's not in the details that... And then I go back to older ones that did not get included or I found later. You know, so there are some very old classic cases from the 40s or even older. Yeah. I think but one of the... The newer ones are the most interesting because you can get into a lot of details. And you just don't, you know, there's just not this little short blip while well, it left this port and found for this port it was fair weather and it never arrived and everybody's gone. You really can't do much with that. Right, right. Now you've got more Unfortunately, more that's the truth of so many, so many cases. Do you have a, do you have a, before we transition off of the triangle, do you have a, do you have like a favorite case or any, any sort of theories you've come up with over, cause you've got to be one of the most, um, you know, definitely in our community anyway, because I, I mean, I don't want to hear what the scientists have to say. I'd much rather hear what, you know, you've come up with after 15 or 20 years of looking into it. Especially when you said 1999 on the internet, it was interesting because that's when Ephraim was doing his Mars work on the internet. Yeah, and yeah. these are the guys that, you know, 20 years later are starting to be proven right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was very careful in my research. It was all, uh, I had a, like a 30 page bibliography in the book. And that's what impressed McGraw-Hill so much that I went and got everything official on this. Remember, I started 1990, and I didn't really go public with it until 1999. So you can imagine what I had amassed. And only a fraction was on the website. And it still is. So favorite cases? I have many favorite cases. Uh, I, there's probably too many to, to name that. Uh, UFO case is interesting. The two cases where the pilots, you know, where the planes basically vanished coming for a landing. There are the NC-16002 is one of the most famous cases. That's the DC-3 fully loaded with passengers in 1948 that vanished coming in for a landing at Miami Airport. That's one of the most famous aerial disappearances there is. And I'd really love to go try and look for that. But so far, I've not been able to do that because it's back work that you just cannot imagine how they did not see the lights of Miami. How a big DC-3 with 30 people aboard could vanish and not a trace was ever yeah. found. Yeah, wow. That's kind of reminds me of, I remember one where there was five planes and it was sort of the same sort of idea where they should have been like right there. Flight 19. Can, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wrote a whole book on that one. That was my <laughs> second book. 
Now, do you agree with what, because I think what they came up with in the end was they figure that was, um, they blamed the, the lead pilot, didn't they? No, I, well, they did, yes, but uh, there, was, there was an awful lot involved in that case, and I basically could trace it to the Okefenokee Swamp in southern Georgia. And so a lot of controversy comes into play there. That's why I had to devote an entire book to that incident alone. That's, they flew into oblivion. That's uh, close to 300 pages of the entire mystery and all that I had to do. I even went out in the swamp looking. It was one of the first TV shows History Channel wanted to come out there and follow me. It's a federally protected swamp, so I couldn't go out except in certain areas. But I found all these old reports of five unidentified aircraft being seen in that area that night. Oh, really? Eh? And one, one, one report was dismissed because they thought, well, they had to be out of gas. But at that time, around 9 o'clock, but they never did explain what those five aircraft were. And even a radar report from one of the ships looking was able to trace four to six aircraft coming in the coast around Flagler Beach, which is where, they, if you know the winds that were aloft and the flight's uh, course is where they would have come into Florida. And so I could really quite uh, quite easily connect those dots. And when you read the uh, proceedings of the Board of Inquiry, you see that the board was asking the search and rescue officers, were these reports uh, followed through with the, you know, what was the disposition of these reports? And the officer would reply, we determined these were negative reports. And they said, how did you do that? And they said, basically the planes never came in for landing. Yeah. Which kind of smacks of a bit of a cover up. Do you think there's been, I mean, I got a couple questions before we move off. Like there's one of them is sort of like the overarching cover up, whether it's intentional or not, whether they're just covering their ass about something. And then also about USOs, like un unidentified submersible objects, like one of the most underrated parts of the UFO mystery. Like we had this guy on talking about orange, orange orbs, and he, and he went through years of uh, orange orb sightings and, and collated all the data. And they came and he, and he noticed patterns of these orbs. Like a lot of them were coming from Catalina un, un, in the sea near Catalina Island in California. And then I think there was another, what he called like an underground base area near Florida as well. And there was three main spots where if you were to look at all the data and all the flight patterns of these orbs, <clears throat> you know, they're coming from underground bases in the water, it would seem. Well, USOs are frequently seen out there. They have nothing to do with Flight 19. Any no, guys no, covering but, their but, backside. It, but in general, though? Or? But yes, there are, there are USOs that have been reported out there many times. And I even had to touch on the not-so-popular Russian data that was finally released by the Russian Navy about all their encounters while they were stalking around out there off Cuba. <laughs> and uh, all their data shows that... Uh, uh, more, most UFOs are sighted with water, and 44% of all those in the world are sighted in the Atlantic. Wow. And there's a lot of detailed reports. You can almost spot about how they, they travel around, whatever they are. I'm not necessarily endorsing the alien abduction theory, but there are some very reliable reports from pilots and shipmasters, and even in the records when the Air Force was investigating those that show patterns, you know, flight patterns, and they're very frequently coming into the coast of the U.S. from that area of the Atlantic. Hmm. I dealt with that heavily. I guess that's why there's so much more interest in that kind of stuff lately. I was offered my own television series twice. 
Wow. Last year, one is still in, in the offering, I think. And there's a couple more shows. In Search Of is being brought back. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Leonard that Nimoy, Leonard of course, Nimoy? is gone, oh, but yeah. they're oh, yes, getting... Yes. Uh, the new guy, the new guy. Yeah, Zachary Kinto. Is he the new Spock? Yes, he's going to host it, I'm told. And uh, then Ancient Aliens wants to do another episode, and uh, the Cousteaus might get their own television series, and they might be doing an episode. Oh, that's great. Doc's son uh, and grandson. Have they done much diving there? I would say so, yeah. They know the area pretty well. Because isn't there a road right there, too? Is that where that road to... What's that? Where they found the two rows of rocks under the sea? The Bimini Road? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Is that... Is Everybody that, dives off that. That's only in 18 feet of water. Yeah, is that is that uh, in the triangle or is that outside of it? Yes, that's quite uh, quite in the hot spot of the triangle. Bimini Island is a center for an awful lot of travel. It's a port of entry into the Bahamas. And then a lot disappears around Bimini or is flying to or from it. Huh. So do you have any overarching theories about about what's going on? I mean, it must I be... I do believe in the electromagnetic uh, anomalies. I've investigated long enough to find out uh, that uh, these vortices, electromagnetic vortices, are quite real. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of things come into play. Out there, there was the Canadian uh, investigation, one of your countrymen, uh, Wilbert Smith. I'm sure you know that name. Yep, yep. His Project Magnet, he found that these areas of reduced binding were more frequent in the tropic areas like the Triangle. And it would explain a lot. I try and weave it together in in my most recent book, but uh, uh, it could explain an awful lot of the transient magnetic problems out there. Shipmasters are very familiar with those uh, with, with moments in which the compass does not point where it should be. And they will joke and say it's the Bermuda Triangle, but it, it's common enough. It doesn't get too much notice in the press, perhaps, because uh, the shipmasters are used to steering by point of sight in the Bahamas, and they don't look at their compass as much as someone traveling through would. And so perhaps it's not noticed as much by the locals. But uh, frequently enough, they will... They will say they have seen it and where the compass will spin or simply point in a totally wrong direction and it's transient. It's not a wreck underneath. It's, you know, it comes and goes. So the electromagnetic anomalies, is there any chance that's man-made or are you you thinking natural? I think natural. I don't think it's man-made. Isn't there some underground bases? Isn't there Ah. some underground bases over there? Like uh, Autech, don't they? Autech's not underground, but it does do an awful lot of undersea... uh, Testing in the tongue of the ocean, which is a very deep gorge in the Great Bahama Bank. Is that is that close to the triangle? That's right in the heart of the triangle. So what's going on there? Everything in the Bahamas is in the heart of the triangle. <laughs> My favorite one I think that I've seen over the years has been the the methane explanation that it's like little pockets underneath the ocean releasing methane, which makes the the water not buoyant or the air not buoyant. You know what? There's nothing to it. This, the guy that came up with that in Leeds, England, was later dubbed Dr. Flatus for it. Dr. Flatus? It oh. <laughs> Ouch. It was the ocean flatulence theory. It's pulled out every time on every documentary. It is the... It's absurd. Really? There's been... There's been... Oh, there's been uh, rigs that have drilled into methane beds by accident. In one case, the, the drill sank. 
but there were news helicopters flying over taking pictures of it all, and they didn't experience any kind of problems. Oh, it doesn't. So it's not going to do air. anything to an aircraft, and uh, for a moving ship, unlike a rig, I mean, the this it have to be an enormous burst of ethane. At the precise time the boat is going over it, now how? What's the mathematic probability of that? And then you're talking about all these hundreds of boats were caused by that. Well, now I don't feel so so good about that theory. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a more sinister explanation, but I won't get into it. <laughs> Other it's still a mystery. I, I, it's one mystery I have not cracked because it's so multifactorial. There's so many ships and planes missing. You cannot say. The same thing was responsible for all of them. Is it still happening? Oh, yes. Because that's, yeah, that's the other thing is you kind of hear about these old cases, but I, you don't, you know, you don't see it in the news anymore. Well, that's kind of why I asked about the cover-up, because why, why isn't this still a big mystery in the news? I mean, that, well, you know. people aren't traveling like they used to. The 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s was still the golden age of the middle class and, uh, you know, people traveled more, their weekend wing flyers, they had to have their boats. Florida is suffering under all these abandoned boats because the economy went so bad. Mm. And they're just lying derelict in all these coves or sinking at anchor. But people simply aren't traveling out there as much anymore, so it's it's a bit of a different mm. different statistics now. And you don't have the same number of aircraft vanishing as you used to. That's markedly changed. So have you also delved into the UFO thing lately at all? Have you been following this um, supposed New York Times article about, you know, the government program and disclosure and all this stuff? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I I don't remember all the details, but uh, I, I do follow that quietly. The only time I will really unleash my information on it is with a book. That's not something I wish to deal with with people on the web. I, I do have a lot of research, historical research, putting it all online, trying to come up with the best pattern that fits and explains everything. I rely upon the old aircraft, old Air Force reports, and some scientific observations, such as Paul Hills. I'm sure you know that name. Yeah. Or Roy Paul, Paul Roy Hill. And uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, we all knew they were studying it because... Uh, Reports are are still being made, and they the classic reports are still there, and they get on the web, and people wonder, why wasn't this investigated better? And you find out that the Russians dumped all that information several years ago, 2009, I think. We even mentioned the Bermuda Triangle and all their encounters. So it's what? not surprising to me that they were investigating again. And then they admitted... Uh, that one pilot's encounter with one, and it's just the typical encounter. It's speeding around. It can go from the ocean to the sky. That's what all the Russians were saying, too. That's what uh, Paul Hill was saying, how they had to be designed to go from uh, from the ocean to the uh, sky. The earliest reports show that the saucers, as they were called, you know, when Kehoe was talking about them in mm-hmm. the late 40s and 50s, came into the coast from the Atlantic along very certain path lines. The 37th parallel that another author made. Mesrish made an awful lot out of. Yep. So there's a pattern that has to be finally put down into one thesis, and I will do that one day, but it's so much occult has gotten mixed with that people with their own little 
you know, just turning, you know, angels and demons into good aliens and bad aliens. You know, and, and trying to, it's, it's almost pseudo-religious now. There does seem to be that uh, spin on it, for sure. I would tend to agree. It almost seems to be, it, it seems to be like it's going to morph into the religion of the future. Well, it's hard not to because the consciousness is kind of involved in, in that. But. I'm still the old school, like the, you know, Kehoe's time, that these, if they do exist, they're heavier than aircraft, they're interstellar or something, and they have to be plotted, and we have to come up with something rational about just what they really do look like, not these hundred different sizes and shapes, and and try and plot what's going on. You know, it's a very tangible mystery. You, you know the name Morris Jessup? Yep. He was the one who thought it was that, that it was a very insulated mystery, and he wanted to investigate it. He was the astronomer who wrote the book, UFOs, The Case for the UFOs, 1955. Mm -hmm. But then he spiraled into all this occult, into uh, seance crowd and all this, and... That's when he really began to get depressed and confused and got uh, scorned by his uh, his peers. And you look at his work, he just spiraled into some of the most absurd stories that were more fit for the seance crowd rather than a scientific investigation of what should have been an insulated topic. It should be something purely of tangible craft or not a tangible craft yeah but that's too, and the most rational will keep it to that that's hard though i mean they we've one of our favorite guests grant cameron was like that for years just researching the government documents and very nuts and bolts and then he had a little bit of a synchronicity or epiphany and then he went down that same road where he's you know and more about consciousness and the the spiritual aspect of it i mean it's hard not to go down there it's not just you know physics and nuts and bolts it's really it's really difficult to stay on that path, I think. Well, I've, I've always been scared of that path. I, I don't want to go down it. I want to stick to something that can be rationally observed and investigated. I don't know. You know I know some guys who were very negative about it and had their own experience, and so they will believe yeah. in, in saucers, but they don't go down, down that path. I know one, uh, one astronaut did. Yeah. Wasn't that Mitchell? Yeah. Mitchell, Edward Mitchell, yeah. Edgar. Edgar? <laughs> yeah. Like Alan Edgar, Yeah. <laughs> Edward. Whereas then uh, the other one. Uh, Buzz Aldrin? Admitted he saw that. Yeah, no, not Buzz Aldrin. He's a troublemaker. Southern accent. I can't remember. Cooper, Gordon Cooper? Oh, Gordon Cooper, yeah. He admits that they do exist, you know, the one that landed and they filmed it at uh, Muroc, or Edwards Air Force Base, as it was called then. That's And uh, so I, that's more or less, you know, what I encounter with with people who remain, uh, who remain serious about the subject, that, you know, they will become shocked and believe that they do exist, but they will keep it as a very tangible mystery, a very tangible object was seen, not, nothing... None of this spiritual communication in the desert stuff. If you know what I mean. I do know what you, I do know what you mean. I, I try both. He does. <laughs> ground, ground does spiritual <laughs> communication in the mountains. I, you know, because it's because it, what happens when you do spirit communication and then you see something tangible, right? That's the that's the, the rub is, you know, when I had a sighting in 1990. I looked up and said, please come back. I want to see you, too. And it came back. I mean, that's and that's. 
you know, I'm not talking about that being a spiritual moment, but it was a craft flying through the sky that multiple people saw. And I mean, I'm not saying it, it appeared out of nowhere. I mean, I'm just the one that noticed it the next time, but I mean, there's all these instances of, uh, conscious contact in a way. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough one to tease apart. Coincidence can be very beguiling. Yeah, that's true. I had a synchro today. A gun synchro. Yeah. I'm not going to get into no, it here, don't but get into it's it interesting. So, so what about uh, Sasquatch? We, that comes up all the time on the show as well, because Darren, Darren, we have a legitimate um, difference in opinion of how he should be handled. Uh-oh. He, she should be handled. I mean, I'm, I'm all for saving the Sasquatch if you ever come across it, and Darren would just shoot the thing. So you've also researched. That. I would not shoot. Well, I my my book recasting Bigfoot oh. was the the controversy within there. I'm the most hated man in Bigfootery. <laughs> Bigfootery. What do you wish to know about it? Big fuckery. <laughs> would you take the shot? You know, I went back and I again. I started at the the beginning. I went back to the old frontier accounts. I went back to J. W. Burns' first articles and what he said, and I synchronized them together. And you realize that. Sasquatch, the Sasquaha George, as they are saying it, announcing at the Indians that that was two tribes of hairy Indians in the mountains, one of which could speak uh, something akin to the Douglas dialect. And so I trace how did something like this become this giant, gigantopithecus of California, Bigfoot, and then start stomping around the whole North American continent. And that's why I was not too liked in recasting Bigfoot because I endorsed the idea that there was a cryptid out there, but it's not what people, I said there's more than one species and it's not what people think there's humans involved. It's not this eight, nine foot tall ogre. The Indians are very clear that giant to them meant something six, six and a half feet tall. And white man came along, heard the stories about giant hairy Indians and to the much taller white men, they were giant meant eight, nine feet tall. And so it evolved in the white man's hands. But most of what's said out there has not been said by the Indians at all. It's been said by white men, and it has no resemblance to the Sasquatch of the uh, of the Salas Indians and the High Slay Indians and all that. So there's multiple. Or the and all the, it's, it's all, there's more than one species involved, and it's not what you're seeing in the Patterson film, and that's why people hated my guts, because I said the Patterson film wasn't real. Well, what about all the contemporary sightings of, of a hairy guy, like seven or eight feet tall or, or bigger? Well, what do you mean? From who? Well, from all kinds, like hundreds of people, thousands of people. Like, how, how, I mean, you know, just thinking that maybe if he's not that big, I mean, do you, are people just hallucinating or, I mean, how? Are people even seeing him in the Pacific Northwest anymore where Bigfoot was limited, Bigfoot and Sasquatch? Yeah. I even John so. Green admitted that most of them don't even come, most of the sightings don't come from there anymore. They come from all over the country and east. Well, east he's of the Mississippi. a lot of Florida lately. He's breeding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you, so do you think that it's. I, I endorsed Amerantripitus Loisy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that out there. Sounds Latin, tell, tell your listeners to get the book, Recasting Bigfoot, and oh, they'll we, find out, yeah, because I went and looked at all the Indian artwork in I stone, do. the ro- the rock heads of the Columbus Valley, Columbia I do, Valley. Yeah, I do like how you... The you, river? I like how you put all that together, for sure. Oh, you read it? No, I've listened to you on another show. Oh, okay. 
I'm sure you were not going to go buy it then. No, well, might. Uh, I mean, it would be a nice. Know, it would be a nice. I did all that and to show how it resembles that controversial photo of Francois Deloy from South America, and I looked into all these old reports. And there's the Mayan artwork. There's uh, all sorts of stuff that indicate that we're actually dealing with a Native American anthropoid, not this old, uh, worn-out legend of Gigantopithecus crossing the Bering Land Strait and coming down through Canada and into California. You know, and that's that's uh, otherwise, it's the other direction. They're coming up from South America along the mountain range, the Sierras, and they're coming up into Canada where they meet, I think, another old world species head on. So I, I believed in more than one species and that the majority that we left sightings probably are, are the American one. And it's what the Indians would call the Desonaqua, which is a totally different thing. The Bigfoot said Desonaqua and Bigfoot are the same thing, that these Indian totems, masks, of the Sonaqua, the howling, whistling thing, are, are proof of Bigfoot because some of them have a very ape-like appearance. But they have their appearance to the creature that Francois Deloy shot in 19, was it 20, 1917, in South America, and it was an anthropoid version of, version for lack of a better word, of the spider monkey, and it was about five feet tall. And that's what Desonaqua, even the uh, the big suit, the Hami suit of the Koskamo Indians, it is, is the proportions of what Deloy shot, and that photograph still stands today, and some have tried to rip it to pieces. They don't like me talking, but like it's serious. Arthur C. Clarke even gave it the benefit of the doubt. He, he believed that uh, that could be quite real because there was something to that and all the other reports. <laughs> and aside from him, I'm the only one until my book to give that serious consideration as the inspiration for a lot of the Bigfoot reports, and it certainly has to be the Desonaqua. The Indians said that they're the nude people of the forest. They're about five feet tall. And the Bigfooters just kind of changed that into uh, the eight-foot-tall Bigfoot, and that huh. has no basis which is interesting. Anything the Indians ever told them. Because to me, this creature you're talking about would sound a lot more intriguing than a Bigfoot. Because I mean, you're basically talking about what could be the missing link. You're talking about something more man-sized. And in the 1950s and 60s, they wanted the giant, because the evolutionary theory at that time was that the Gigantopithecus was an evolved form, you know, lateral, and so. They wanted this to be a missing link, so it had to be giant. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of, but I, to me, it would seem like it would be the opposite. Like, I would picture a little five-foot-tall apish humanoid as being more like the cross between, you know, maybe some sort of giant spider monkey that eventually turned into a human. But they had those bones that were from a giant in India or something that looked far more human, you know, Gigantopithecus. And the teeth, they looked far more human, so they thought a giant lateral development had occurred. So that was, that was you know, the bird in the hand is worth more two in the bush. They had the bones suggesting that this was far more humanoid in the giant, the giant bones. That was just a Nephilim. I mean, uh, what? That was just a Nephilim. 
So what do you do with all the reports about, you know, interdimensionality, like uh, disappearing and all the, the little, the more extreme paranormal type, you know, parts about the Sasquatch? Oh, you mean like that lady that's walking around bow-legged out there trying to become the mother of a new species? No, not quite that extreme. <laughs> You've heard that one, haven't you? I haven't. No. Can you elaborate? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, there's many Bigfooters who believe that Bigfoot's libido is attracted to something like that. And they used to hammer, uh, use sanitary napkins onto trees and then sit back with their rifles. They were going to get one. Oh, yeah. We heard about that. I've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so some woman went out there and tried to, you know, get a a baby. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How did it go? That's good. How did it go? I'm not making it up. I mean, that's that's for real. The mosquitoes were terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, you know, I stay away from the extreme stuff. It doesn't. It's not in recasting Bigfoot. I'm not interested in just cycling those stories and people who, you know, ones under a lady's piazza in Philadelphia and that kind of stuff. So, um, would you take the shot then, if you're out hunting and Bigfoot? I would not. No. No, I would film it. It that there's. Cam you have to broken. get one in captivity or film it. If it was a dart gun, that's a different thing. They're just really blurry, but, usually. <laughs> but I don't, you know. What about lag it? Is it lag shot? No. No. Because <laughs> the whole big thing is to see how they walk, to prove how they, they walk. You could, a skeleton wouldn't even tell you that. There'd be all this argument over how it walked. Oh, yeah. If you want to prove how these things walk, what they're really like, you got to get a live one. You got to tackle one. If you just want to prove one exists, you go shoot one. That's what Grover Kranz kept saying. And bring in the head or a finger or something that proves you have a living, you just shot a living species today. That's what he would say. You but think that, that would... just proves it exists. That doesn't prove anything else about it, all the arguments about what it is, how it walks, oh, how it's designed. You have to have a living one in captivity. How smart it is. Yeah, who knows? It's like trying to talk to you to boom. <laughs> I wonder though. I wonder if, uh, so yeah, I don't know. See if you don't have a dark gun, I've always thought that if you shot one, they would kind of become a, there would be like a serious sort of protection about it. But then someone actually rightly corrected me the other day by saying the fact that we haven't found a Bigfoot is proof enough that he doesn't need your protection. <laughs> True, but there are places where Bigfoot is protected, even though he officially does not exist. California, I think, right? No, Washington, Washington State. Washington, that's right. Camania County, I think it is. Or Stevens, or something like that. Good for them. I better take my take the shot bumper sticker <laughs> off next time I'm in Washington. <laughs> so, what do you do before we run out of time here? Do you want to get into some of the latest, uh, later stuff and some of the scary true crime stuff you've been investigating? We were talking earlier before we started recording about you actually um, following the French method of... um... I I mixed both of them, the Scotland Yard and the French method. (laughs) But yeah, that was... People were surprised because I I never watched that stuff. But in 2010... No, I like mystery. I like to crack mystery. And I started running out of all these world mysteries that were intriguing. And I started taking up true crime. And I started with Jack the Ripper. Zodiac killer, but I saw these genres were just dominated by someone who wants to, you know, they have a suspect 
usually their dad or their uncle or something that can't sue them. And uh, and they build the whole book around the sus the their their subject their 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 guilty person, <clears throat> and uh, they kind of just rehash the a lot of inaccuracies on the crimes and the books are just very inaccurate. And I thought, you know, I'll just investigate it, not to do a journalistic work, simply to put it all in one volume, but to try and solve these things. And I really got hung up in it, far more probably than I should have. But it one case led to another to where, I, uh, you know, for the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the hottest thing in cold case right now, I'm the I'm the most well-known independent investigator of that. I, I'm speaking with jurisdictions. They will accept my persons of interest. They will look at my investigation. And this is a huge, huge case. Over 10 jurisdictions in California are involved. Wow. 50 rapes and at least 10 to 12 murders. And this guy was a maniac. He really was the real-life Michael Myers. That's what I called him. And that uh, finally hooked with people, and they could envision what this guy was like. And the more I <clears throat> learn of this guy, the less I realize I know. And as I told you, I talked to a lead detective recently, and when someone told him that, you know, tell me all about this case, you're the expert, he said, what I know about this case can fit on a you know, three-by-five card, and I could use a fairly large font. You know, what is known and what as opposed to, as opposed to what is supposed or theorized. And the facts on this guy are so small you know, which is astounding since he committed his crimes over a 10-year period and 50 rapes and 10 to 12 murders and many other cases of prowling. The guy just devoted his whole time to this. It was like his hobby. And still, we're not sure about how tall he really was, what his hair color was. DNA says there's a certain color to his eye, but I know a lot of detectives really aren't too confident about that. Recently, there's a stink about the DNA that says, you know, something German-English, and I talked to other detectives, and they say that doesn't mean anything. That's a future science. There, you know, you could have someone who has a very English name who could be half Italian, and how are you going to know, looking at the person's name or their picture, what their genetics really are? So you just have to do it the old method, and where they cannot uh, exclude someone, you know, finding them they were in another location, they were in prison at the time, or they were out of the country. They have to go after DNA, and because you know his DNA is on record, he was a rapist. And so far, I know that there have been six to seven thousand persons of interest. There have been between six and seven hundred DNA tested, and still no hit. I failed with one person of interest. It's not official yet, but I'm sure I failed with another. I after I. Admitted that, I got a color picture and saw his eyes were really the wrong color. I thought they were too far out, but that doesn't mean too much. But I think he was uh, later identified in the military as a later attack. But another one is now going through the process with more than one jurisdiction. And I'm just going to start giving more of my persons of interest in auto-wrecking. That's my own theory based on it. And I've been told by more than one jurisdiction, they think that is really one of the best leads right now. So that's why... Basically, that's why I'm persona grata, because I went out and found all this stuff on auto-wrecking and how it relates to all the reports of prowling before the fact. This creep, you know, every time there was an unknown car in the neighborhood, 
uh, he, uh, and sometimes people found plate numbers and so forth, was over a period of years that he was stalking, enough plates were taken down and traced, and they frequently went nowhere or they went to a car that had been wrecked. And not to the car that was seen. It was simply the plate was lifted from a wrecking yard somewhere and put on another car. And so they could never trace the guy. He covered his bases that well. And now Sacramento County is uh, digging up all this information. They had an info dump on their website, the sheriffs, about these uh, earlier cat burglaries in Rancho Cordova and Carmichael Citrus Heights, where the East Area Rape was also concentrated and began. And these occurred three years in 1973, three years before he started in 1976. And I was just told that uh, in one of these cases, they did, in fact, uh, uh, get a plate number, and they discovered that it did lead to a car that had been wrecked hmm. a month before the burglary. See, the guy robbed uh, robbed someone, did a cat burglary on them, uh, took his gas card and bought tires and gas cities far and wide around Sacramento. And in those days when they they <clears throat> ran the card over a piece of paper, you know, the thing, the hard copy for credit cards, and, the, and they took the license plate down number of gas stations, well, they got that record and saw and traced that car to one that was no longer in existence. So how did this guy get the plate? And this is the exact same MOEAR was doing. So that's propelling them onward behind the scenes in investigation to link these early cat burglaries with him and then try and get his ID from that. And so this is still an open case, right? Not like these other ones that, that you started with. This is still... this it's a, it's a cold case in most jurisdictions, but in Sacramento, I do believe the detectives working on it are active homicide investigators. So you know, still, even though this is a 40-year-old case, you have, there, I don't know how many detectives working on it from Orange County, Santa Barbara County, Ventura County. Those are the counties he murdered. He's believed to have murdered two people up in Sacramento in Rancho Cordova, the Majoras. So that's why Sacramento is involved still because there's no statute of limitations on murder. And they kept everything from all the, the, the rape cases. And this is where he started. This is where he concentrated the most. There's, I forget how many, there's... 20-some-odd uh, of his 50 rapes. The majority are here around the Sacramento area before he branched out into the East Bay area of San Francisco and then went south and turned murderer. So they have a lot, and they're the ones on the ground floor because they, it's their turf. They know where to go. They go to the, all the old spots, and they go through the records, I'm told. It takes them six months to go through a month of records 1973 or 76 or something and they've looked through hundreds of thousands trying to make the links because they believe that EAR showed cat burglary skill before in his very first attack and so they think he had some kind of previous record as a cat burglar and they're trying to find all those records now and try and find a link to him from that because you know these guys these serials make their mistakes in the beginning when they're developing right they're honing their methods. And it's, it's just an enormous case. And, I, of course, I don't even know a fraction of what the lead detectives know. They have all the uh, the restricted information. So if he if he admits humbly that he only knows for a fact what can be put on a small card, that, that's humbling to me that I must know only a fraction of that. I can put mine on a thumbnail. And yet this guy's the most prolific serial offender in history. 
Wow. And my website's uh, devoted to him. I don't know how, would I have 100 pages devoted to him? How many blog posts have I talked about? How many photographs have I taken of how many crime scenes that I have on my site? And still, it's only a fraction of trying to backwork how this guy operated. Hmm. They've come up with some very recent good stuff in the info dump, and I'm writing articles on it right now, <laughs> that allows one to actually get a cause and effect uh, on this guy. I, I can tell you this is the latest information, and it is based on the info dump, and then what I'm told behind the scenes, and it's public, that's not restricted stuff, but... The info dump talked about the Haskell Avenue incident in which a prowler, this big husky guy, 6'5", about 260 pounds, he looked out his window and here's this guy looking in at he and his wife. And so he goes outside and he is just astounded about this five foot, eight inch guy with one hand, you know, just puts one hand on the fence and vaults over in one leap. He never saw anybody do that. And so he starts chasing him a bit, and the guy just leaves, and he calls the police. Sheriff comes out, Marlon Weinberger. And he's talking to him out front, giving a description. Then he sees this, the prowler uh, down the street on the opposite side between two homes, and he says, that's the guy. He takes off. Weinberger takes off with him <laughs> and then tells the guy to lay off. He'll go do it. He chases him over another fence. Weinberger loses him in the darkness by a power substation. So he's out there on Locust Avenue now, the main street. He sees a car start up way down by the parking lots, by the park, apartment buildings. The car is coming to him. It's a small car. Its lights are on. And he motions it to stop because he wants it to turn into the field and shine its lights in there so he could look where this creep is. The guy hits the gas. He swerves around him and rips out of there and heads south. And, he, and Weinberger realizes, my God, this was the guy. He outdistanced him that far, got in his car. So within minutes, about five miles south off Manzanita Boulevard in the east area, a foreign-sounding car pulls in and does a U-turn in Sandbar Circle. And residents note that. Ten minutes later, the dogs are barking. You know, like someone's moving through the yards. Two hours later, EAR hits his 21st victim in their house there, and he goes through his whole thing of binding them, uh, rape, the, the uh, terror ransacking the house and all that. <laughs> but he's really crazy this time. He's swearing about the pigs. He's going to get even with the pigs. He's going to do whatever he has to. To you know, He's going to kill his next couple. He tells him, I'm not going to kill you, but the next couple dies. Tell the pigs. And what is surmised is that the next couple were, was the couple up on Haskell Avenue. Mm. That he hated that guy for chasing him off or you know, getting a cop on him. That's why he's all agitated about the pigs, and the next couple is specifically meaning those people up there. The next morning, they notice on their door that up at Haskell Avenue, a pamphlet for spiritual laws, and on it, written in block letters, is almost got me next time you die. Wow. And so this, they freak out. They get a, an alarm set up in there. Part of the alarm is put up into the attic, the crawl space. The entrance to the attic is in the utility room over the washing machine. This is done in a few days when the installer leaves. That Sunday, I believe, they go out to dinner and uh, do something afterward. And they come home, and uh, the wife notices a screw on the linoleum floor of the utility room. She notices the plaster dust on the washing machine. 
She says, this wasn't here. She cleaned up. And they look around the house, and one of the bedroom windows was open. The screen was bent. And the guy got in the house. The sheriffs come down there, and they look at it, and they find his telltale herringbone shoe pattern on top of the washing machine. He had stood up there and tried to get in the attic to get to dismantle that alarm quietly because that was a formidable obstacle back then, they, they deduce. And, uh, you know, they, the, the owner of the home only had his doors rigged anyway. He didn't have the windows. And, but that was still a problem for EAR. So there are some very credible people in the investigation who believe that really was him, that he came back and he had been watching them enough to know that alarm install had occurred and he watched them leave. He came in there and he intended to very quietly disarm it and come back and get them. And they were the couple he intended to kill. Hmm. Did they ever end up dead? What? Did they ever end up dead? No. Oh, that's good. That that then uh, that cascades into more that then happened at that time uh, that it was simply too much for him to get past. And also that guy sat up at night with a gun waiting for him. But then he struck, a few days later, he struck uh, victim number 22 in the south of Sacramento, far away from where he just caused all the problems in the east area and here it is thought that he might have fallen over a gate when he was getting over it and injured his shoulder because someone popped up at american river hospital uh, two days later in the morning of may 30th with all this fake id that had been stolen from an area where ear had prowled and they were suspicious of him at the hospital and he fled before the detectives got there but uh, he gave as his injury date may 28 which was the day the next victim, victim 22, was struck in the south. And so they theorized that he actually did fall over that gate and damage his shoulder. And two days later, he uses the fake ID to go get medical help. And he was then inactive the entire summer of 1977, and no one ever knows why he never struck in the summer of 77 after May, which was his most frenzied month. And this theorized that he simply wasn't capable because his shoulder was whacked out. Huh. So, so all this cascades, I'm doing an article cascading it all together, and then it comes back to the epilogue when he came, comes back to the Locust Avenue area in 1978. is particularly violent. He kicks in the front door, and it's wondered whether you're just coming back here didn't remind him of his bitter defeat with the police of the May before. And so he just kicks in the victim's front door and enters the house. He's not subtle at all. So I have to put that all together try and reveal a pattern of how uh, unrelenting, how violent he could be, and yet how subtle and calculating he was. You know, it, it sounds unbelievable until you hear it put together basically officially that this is how it's theorized. Is it facts? No. There can be other interpretations to all of this. But that had to be him up at Haskell Avenue, and it certainly was him at victim 21 and victim 22. And in between, you know, you can fill in the gaps, especially with uh, falling in being that man who was 31 years old, he, he gave his age as 31 at the hospital, and that he had his shoulder injury climbing the scaffolding at the Rice Growers Association. There is no rice, uh, there is no scaffolding there, and they talked to people there, and no one knew what this was about. So he clearly had to come up with an excuse how he had a damaged shoulder. And the ID he used was from a missing ID in an area where EAR had stalked before. Hmm. And he gave the same day of the injury as the attack on 22. 
And no camera so footage it, or anything? I guess back then there wasn't a camera in every hallway. No, not back then. And they, they can't even figure out why the hospital got suspicious of him. But they did call the sheriffs, and the sheriffs investigated enough and uh, to leave this report that was dug up by the current investigators. And then this was, uh, there was a big news announcement about this recently here in Sacramento. I wonder if they'll ever catch him. But he had, he, so when was his last attack? Was 22 or 23? Was that the last we've seen of him? Oh, no. He attacked over 50, and then he murdered 10. So his last attack was uh, bludgeoning a young girl in 1986. And this incident occurred in, 19, in May 16 and May 17 of uh, 1977. And May 28 of 1977 was number 22. And so he was active uh, intensely until 1981. Then he took a five-year break, came back, murdered his last victim, and then he has never been heard from again. Or, or he's changed his methods, or he's changed the location or something. Well, he must be in his 70s by now if he's still alive. Oh, so, yeah, I guess you know, that's tough. Yeah, after 1986, he just quit. His M.O. was so distinct that there's nothing that... Matches no one was like him. Just just imagine Michael Myers. This guy always wore a mask, and he was unstoppable. He dogs didn't stop him, pit bulls didn't stop him, nothing. And 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 the Night Stalker didn't catch on. So what is he's called now? The uh, Night Predator. Well, I call him the Night Predator, but his official handle was EAR for East Area Rapist. Yeah. That's what he began as. No one saw that he would evolve into the number one serial predator. And since they called him original Night, since they called him Night Stalker in the South and had to change that to original Night Stalker when he became, uh, you know, in the 21st century when his case really came back to the public. And no one wanted it confused with Richard Ramirez, who was called Night Stalker with little reason. So he was known as E-A-R-O-N-S, which is just the acronym. Yeah. So I call him Night Predator. Others have tried to call him other names, but nothing's really going to surpass the the moniker, the acronym. It's not a very good one, but there it is. We're stuck with it. So I want to ask you about what the what the what role the media plays in all this, and not really like in regards to Sasquatch or UFOs or the Bermuda Triangle, but more like this true crime stuff. Because, you know, you hear, you know, the media is just you know, a 24-hour news cycle now, cycling over things again and again, and it's real fear porn. You know, everything's negative. They, you know, they need to do all this to sell papers and, and uh, obviously not papers anymore, but you know what I mean. And then, uh, but, you know, you want to know if there's something dangerous in your neighborhood. So there's, to me, I, I kind of, I struggle with it. I, I, cause I don't really watch the news, but it seems like it's just all negative and all you know, half it's bullshit. And then you wonder what, what to believe and what are they blowing out of proportion? But after you've been involved in this and had to obviously separate yourself out emotionally from investigating like 70 something serious cases for this one guy, like, what do you think? About I don't think the, the I don't think the press really uh, grasps. I think they downplay the real something stuff? like this. I think they should play it up a little more, but, uh, I, I don't think they, they have a real, handle on it. That's why I was kind of proud of myself when I came up with the real life Michael Myers as a way to just, you know, crystallize this guy in people's minds. I'm never very good at something like that. But that's basically what he was. So just picture Halloween dealing with that creep at night. 
and he's unstoppable. And I just don't. Uh, the only one who came close to that was Carol Daly. She was one of the detectives on the case mm-hmm. back when in the 1970s. She later became under sheriff for Sacramento County. She's a very well known figure here. And uh, so she, in the recent uh, news article, she said he was everything out of a, a horror movie. And that's basically, you know, what I'm saying, too, that you just look at all your horror movie slashers and killers, and basically you're talking about the real-life version of this guy. And so I I don't think it fully sets with people. There's been an awful lot of, uh, there's a documentary on airing, the last two hours of a miniseries airing tonight. I think it's CNN dealing with it again. And I'm watching my uh, statistics on my website and there's a slight increase, but uh, those those stations aren't really bringing people in. When my section first went up, I got 50,000 people coming in off a single Reddit link. And oh, maybe yeah. I'll be getting three, 400 more people than usual coming in off of this major documentary uh, news blurb. It's just, it's it's people aren't watching TV. They're not, I don't think they really can fully grasp a crime spree like this, and even one of the detectives said when she first saw the case, she didn't even believe it was real, that anybody could do something like this and then be forgotten. He was basically forgotten for quite some time. That's crazy. So what what do you think's up with the guy? Is he just he, is he absolutely crazy, or is there is there any? Well, sort if of he's other... not dead, I, it's hard to say. This I I don't believe that. You know, I think serial killers are cowards anyway. And so I don't picture one ever going after me or someone else because they've just never been known to do that. That's in the movies. But you see what this guy's like, and you wonder if, you know, if he had that kind of rage over being interrupted in, by this guy and by this cop, and he did have other periods of rage, you know, what? Uh, how could he be so calm and calculating all these other times, like yeah, a, a yeah. cat burglar? I just don't, uh, I don't know what he's like now, if he's even around, but he'd be in his 70s, I would think. And, uh, or he's dead. He's been dead for 30 years, and that's why there's been no DNA hit on him. Uh, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I thought my first person of interest, I I pushed him out of the way for my second one because of an age, an age difference. I went for the younger guy, and he got cleared by DNA. He was dead, and they uploaded a spot card from the coroner, and and cleared him by DNA. And I went back to my original guy, got more pictures on him, and he really fits, and he's undergoing the, the process now, but he was much older. And, uh, but I just can't imagine, you know, he's alive, so I don't talk about any of my living ones. And uh, I just can't imagine if, if the guy's alive that he, he would be so dumb as to remain in this country with what's going on, unless he feels he is so... Insulated. I think he'd go to Mexico or Canada, Mexico more likely. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I just I still feel somehow that he's dead. If I'm wrong with these guys, which I could be, all these guys in auto wrecking, I would just have to feel the guy's dead. That he, how can there be absolutely no lead to him, no possible lead yet with all the clues that were left? How he covered himself so much with these fake plates. He's left so much DNA overall California, and yet no one's gotten close. And then, you know, all these young guys with blonde hair and blue eyes are being turned in because that's what people think he looked like. But no one really knows what he looked like. <clears throat> one well, of the Halloween came out. What they can say. Halloween came out in what, 78? 
Yes. Was it based on this guy? No, it no, was just. No I, I don't even think Hollywood even knew he existed. He was more or less something around Sacramento at the time. He didn't become a national or even a state thing until 21st century, because the murders down south were of such a different kind that they were never sure if it was the same guy. And it only only when DNA began to link them did they know oh, that he did see, go down yeah. south and continued as a murderer. Did they ever try That's psychics or anything like that? Have they ever tried what? Uh, did oh, they ever try idea. using like psychics or anything like that? Uh, I'm sure psychics offered their help. I don't think they went to them intentionally. Hmm. Maybe they should try. Hmm. So yeah, I heard you. Yes, the UFOs next time. When I heard when I heard you on Banal of America, you you guys were on with um with a woman. I think she was the sister of one of the later victims. Yes, Michelle. Did, yeah, did she? Michelle end, is the uh, is the sister of the last victim. Yeah, did she end up? Um, how did her POIs end up working out? I mean, uh, obviously, I, I mean, obviously, they didn't they didn't catch him or anything like that or figure it out. But uh, I wondered if that was yeah. She seemed to be, I don't know, it really seemed to be getting close between the two of you. Uh, I don't know. I, I complete, I'm remain completely independent. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. investigate with other people. Yeah. My information goes to actual detectives who will tell me whether they're going to pursue, you know, this person in detail and even to the point of DNA. Yeah. So that's the, I, I can turn my information in straight to them. And she has her own routes. She uses different people in a different jurisdiction. So it's whatever you can, whatever you can get. Most everybody else, I think, is a tipster who, uh, if they turn someone in, they're really not going to hear back. Uh, maybe they'll be told if they were eliminated. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. But if you don't hear back, obviously your guy was eliminated. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of information about it on the website, thequesterfiles.com. Um, like you said, I think there's at least 100 different posts there just on the Night Predator. And there's like seven or eight different serial killers, it looks like there. So, yeah, there's people could kill hours and hours and hours over at the website. And while they're there, they should buy some books. Yeah, I hope so, yes. <laughs> well, Big, uh, big thank you for your time tonight, Jen. We really appreciate it. Um, we should let you get off to your dinner. Um, but thank you very for, much. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming out and thanks for sticking around a little longer than scheduled. And yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to have you back on again down the road, and maybe after you've cracked the case. Hopefully, <laughs> right on. All okay, right, you guys take care. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good night. Bye. Now is our chat with uh, Gian Quasar. Quasar? Quasar. Quasar? Quasar. Yeah, that was a fun one. I didn't know what to expect, but I'll tell you what, I'm glad we got some laughs because yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Banal had yeah, me thinking serious, that. Yeah. Tim had me be thinking yeah. that uh, that it was going to be very stuffy, but it wasn't at all. No. I wasn't surprised. The Canadians have come a way to, of, yeah, come of, to of getting get a people couple to of calm laughs. down. Yeah, <laughs> Let their guard down. Yeah. So yeah, big thanks to John for coming on the show. Do check out the Quester Files, guys. There's a ton like you could get lost in the website for days. Has he been on your friend's uh, show there back east, the Boner Party guy? Boner Party? I don't know. Well, we're going to talk to Boner Party <laughs> in because uh, he's into the true crime. He yeah. loves this guy. Well, we're gonna yeah. Well, we're doing a true crime uh, black budget show on the 
we're recording it this month, later this month with him for our, for our Black Budget feeds. His isn't, isn't called the Black Budget. I don't know what it's called. But we're doing what are a true do? crime. Talk, talk about your childhood. Are you trying to be funny? It's true crime. Oh, oh. <laughs> FDL. Look, laugh it up. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Um, yeah, big thanks. Gian, check out the website, guys. There's a ton of stuff. Buy a book. Graham's going to buy a book now. You're going to have to go buy I'm that. Gonna buy You're going to have to go buy the Bigfoot book yeah. now. We should go buy a book or two. So that brings us to the support, <laughs> asking for support. <laughs> Which brings it to the next thing where we ask you for your money. Uh, check out America.ca slash support, guys. There's a ton of different options there. we got the Patreon going as well now. That's uh, America.ca slash Patreon. There's a link on the support page as well. Uh, we do have the new and improved back black uh, budget page, which has the upcoming schedule and things like that. So you can send in some questions as well as the 20 episodes. And we have lined up uh, a couple of interviews for the next. We're going to start uh, interviewing some past guests and putting them into the black budget feed uh, here and again. So we got one coming some up. Swap casts, right? Yes, yeah, some swap casts. We'll go into the regular feed. We've got some of those coming up. One in, we're doing one later this month with those conspiracy guys and Tim Banal. And then we're doing one next month with the cult of somebody. To Tim, cult and what about uh, Tim Tripoli and Ryan are going to come and we're going to do a black budget slash their Patreon swap cast for just for the premium feeds. And how do people get into the black budget feed? Go to slash support and sign up for a weekly, monthly, or yearly subscription, or do a one time donation, or go over to the Patreon page and sign up for some sort of pledge there. And any or all of those will get you access. And uh, there's 20 episodes in there now. It looks like we got another three, two or three going in this month. Like I said, we're going to start doing an interview or two a month as well. And uh, there's also, if you go to the web page now, over under the supporters tab on the far right, you can go and listen to the first like five or six minutes of all the existing Black Budget episodes. Really? Yeah. So basically you get through Failed's Jingle and... Yeah, that's about it, yeah. The, you know what's funny is for the first four, we use that little generic intro for them. Yeah. So that's like three minutes. Okay. But it's enough to get a feel for it, I guess. I can't, what else am I going to do? Can't put the whole thing up. We do release, we're going to release the mom show into the regular feed on Mother's Day. So a couple trickle in from time to time. But if you want to know what's in the black budget feed, it's real easy. Go over to the grimerica.ca slash support page and sign up for a thing. And then you'll get all the black budget content. And it looks like it's... Uh, going to get a little more exciting down the road so you know things are looking up so and check if, it out and if more people did that you'd be less sick of podcasting and if more people <laughs> did that i'd be less sick of podcasting so that's a good place as any to wrap it up guys you, there's a ton of other ways to support the show that don't cost any money they're in Graham's honey doobie doo list in the show notes so if you can't afford to support the show go do all that shit email me and tell me you did all that shit and you don't have you can't do a monthly or something right now and we'll you know, maybe we could work something out. Someone else was doing some offered. I can't remember what they did. Someone else tracked down a couple email addresses or something like that because he couldn't do, he didn't have a credit card or something like that. Oh yeah. That's a brilliant way. Yeah. So, you know, if you have, don't have any access to any way of supporting the show financially, but you really, really, really want the black budget, email me and we'll figure something out. But I think most of you can afford a buck a month. Yeah. The other thing is you can uh, get a hold of Darren on Twitter as well. And uh, me on Instagram. That's right. And we're on the YouTubes. And email us feedback. Yeah, it's always good. Stories, all that kind of stuff. Great yeah. to hear from listeners. Like the show on Facebook. Rate the show on iTunes. Or no, review the show on iTunes. 
and spam Graham like a motherfucker. He needs more spam. Graham's almost out of spam. He's wasting away. The calves are shrinking down to nothing. Guy needs spam. He lives on it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
Who tried to sabotage the igloo? 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 Darren and Graham are gonna get you. Darren and Graham are gonna get you. Sing it to making preparations. Preparations for their reparations. Sing it, Viva Gra America Nation. Hailstorm damage got you blue, sunburn gets you let down, while well, introducing the new Gem Trails. Gem Trails are a convenient new chemtrail that we plow through your sky to ensure you with the haziest and non-blue sky that you could have. Gem Trails. Choose from our variety of geo-engineered aerosols loaded with toxic chemicals. Some chemicals may include barium, strontium-90, aluminum, cadmium, zinc, viruses of all sorts and varieties, and chafe which actually looks like snow, but may actually be fibers coated with aluminum, desiccated blood cells, plastic, and paper. All chemtrails can be conveniently customized for your needs. Just ask our friend here, James Cruz. Gemtrails. James Cruz ordered the barium, strontium-90, and the chafe. And the chafe he chose was desecrated blood cells in plastic. Gem trails. So I'm sitting in my backyard getting sunburned constantly. And I hear this ad come on the radio. Gem trails. Gem trails. And what they can do for you is amazing. For 33 payments of $333. Gem trails. No more sunburn. Thanks, Gem Trails. Gem Trails. Thanks, Gem Trails. <coughs> That's right, James. For 33 easy payments of $330, you too could have a hazy sky with zero sun and zero sunburn. Gem Trails. With a brand new technology coming straight out of MIT, we fitted an airplane with nozzles and we can come to any area in the world and spray your backyard. Chemtrails. Warning, warning, warning. Symptoms associated with chemtrails include aneurysms, strokes, heart attacks, and cancer. Chemtrails. Other side effects may include irradiated breast milk, anal leakage, jock itch, runny nose, irregular vaginal discharge, glaucoma, heavy metal poisoning, lockjaw, and low sperm count, persistent hacking, coughing, upper respiratory and intestinal distress, pneumonia, extreme fatigue, disorientation, lethargia, dizziness, splitting headaches, elevated arthritis, symptoms, nosebleeds, blah, 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 yada, yada, etc., etc., doctors, blah, 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 uh, death.
If you want it, we spray it. So get your gem trails today. Call 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-W-E-F-U-C-K-E-D. Thanks, gem trails. Gem trails. <laughs> <laughs>